Praise the Lord, we are on the Lord's side. That's where we know we have victory. And you can take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Let me start by saying this. Highly educated people as well as non-educated people can make bad decisions. Okay, we probably have all made bad decisions in our life. I know I've made at least one or two a day, probably. We all make bad decisions. But there are sometimes decisions that we make that have consequences that last for the rest of our physical lives. Now, a good choice, the choice that we make to come to Christ in salvation has an eternal consequence. The choice to reject God has an eternal consequence as well. So when we make bad choices, bad choices come with bad consequences. And when we talk about physical things in this life, choices we make here, sometimes those consequences last a long time and we have to live with them for the rest of our lives. This is why it's important to be careful and prayerful about what we ask God for. Because what we want, sometimes whether it's good for us or not, God might give it to us. And when God grants us our wish, even when it's not good for us, we are stuck with the consequences that come with that desire. What we read in 1 Samuel chapter 8 is the account of Israel here. We see a choice that Israel made, both the elders and the regular people of Israel, that forever changed their relationship with God. Now, when I say forever change the relationship with God, it's not that God has outright rejected them and they will not ever come to Him. The Bible tells us that there are people who will be saved out of Israel, but it says all Israel is not Israel in the Bible. But this was a turning point in their history. And this is a lesson for us. I think there's some lessons for us to learn about the choice Israel made and the choices we make because sometimes... Even though God knows something is not good for us, He will give us what we ask for to teach us something about ourselves and to teach us something about Him. And if we had known that in the beginning, if we had paid attention to the lessons He was teaching us from His Word in our lives, we wouldn't have made that choice or wanted that desire in the first place. But we rebel. And it's not God that, I'm sorry, it's not that God wants us to suffer consequences. All right? God wants us to be happy. But happiness is only found in God. And when we desire something else to fulfill our happiness, sometimes God gives us that desire to show us that there's not happiness found in anything other than Him. And that's the choice that Israel made here. In 1 Samuel 8, we're going to read it in just a second. Very quickly, I'm going to synopsize it for you, if that's a word. Um, In 1 Samuel 8, Israel had gone through a rough period of time. This is when the judges were judging Israel. Samuel was the last of those judges. He was also a prophet of God. Just before this happened was when the Philistines came and attacked Israel. And Israel went out in pride and they took the Ark of the Covenant with them out into battle. And because they had rejected God through their living... And through their worship, God let them be defeated. 
And while they were defeated, they ran and left the ark, and the ark was taken by the Philistines. And this is right after the ark was returned to Israel. And Israel repented somewhat. They felt bad anyway that they had rejected God to a point. But they come to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and they say basically, we want a king. We want a king like all the other nations. We're tired of what God is doing and what God wants us to do and how he governs us through judges and prophets, and we want a king. And it was this desire for a king other than God that plunged Israel into a demise from which they never recovered. Now, the choice they made at this point, and it wasn't just a few of the people, it was the majority, including the elders of Israel, they, want, they did not want God as their king anymore. They wanted a king that they could see, a physical king that would sit on a throne and govern them, and that's exactly what they said. We want a king to rule over us just like the other nations have. So they were tired of having God as their king. <clears throat> and so in 1 Samuel 8, what we see is this choice for Israel to have a king other than God. And from this time on, their relationship with God and their history was changed forever. Nothing would ever be the same. And you know there's several good kings, but there's many bad kings through Israel's history. And from here on, basically, they had some high points, but they were on a downward slope that eventually led them to where they were completely disbanded. They were conquered and they were scattered around the earth permanently until the 1900s. Okay, so this is the beginning of that. And I want to read 1 Samuel chapter 8 this morning, just so we can see the whole thing, because there's some specific phrases and passages in this, part of, in this chapter of Scripture that I want to allude to. In 1 Samuel 8, it starts, And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. And the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abiah, and they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. <clears throat> but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice. Howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them himself for his chariots, to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties, and will set him to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and to in instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. 
And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king which ye have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken unto their voice, and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, Go ye every man unto his own city. Let's take a minute and pray, and then we'll look at the lessons God has for us. Father, we thank you that your word has truth for us. And even in these accounts of Old Testament saints and sinners in Israel's history, Lord, there are lessons that we can learn that will help us as we live the Christian life. And Lord, now as I, pr- I pray that as we look into this passage of Scripture, I pray that you would just open our minds and hearts and help us to be ready to receive your truth, Lord. Remove the distractions both externally and internally. Help us to be able to focus on what you have to teach us today, knowing that your truth is wisdom, and it's wisdom that brings us to success and happiness. Lord, I pray now that you would use me as your instrument, as your mouthpiece. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Give me your truth to speak. I pray that your word would be proclaimed today, that you would remove me and work through me as your mouthpiece. Lord, so that we might hear from you and challenge us now with your truth. I pray that you would guide us and lead us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand what it is you want us to learn now. We give this time to you and we give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. All right, as we look at this account of Israel wanting king, coming to Samuel and basically saying, Samuel, you're old. We don't want you anymore. We don't want judges. We don't want prophets. What we want is a king because that's what everybody else has. We want to be like all the other nations. Now put yourself in Samuel's shoes. Samuel had spent his entire life serving God and judging the people. And now the people come to him and and the commentators say Samuel could have been anywhere from 55 to 60 years old at this time. So literally, he started when he was three years old in the temple, learning to be a servant. He has served God, he has served Israel this entire time, and he became great and known in Israel as the prophet of God and the leader of Israel at this time, spiritually. And so now the people are coming to him, they're basically saying, we don't want you anymore, we don't want a judge, we don't want a prophet, we want a king. You're not a king, we're done with you. Now Samuel probably took it originally as a personal attack. All right, the people don't want me. And that's why when he comes to God, God says to him, no, Samuel, it's not you that they've rejected, it's me. The people don't want me as their king. And he says, the people don't want me to reign over them anymore. They want a physical human ruler so that they can be like everybody else. So what we see, the first lesson here that we see in Israel's choosing of a king is that they didn't want a king just to, to, because they wanted a king. They wanted a king because they had rejected God as their king. They had rejected God's way of governing through prophets and judges at this point because they had rejected God. Now what's interesting is the people come and they have these reasons. You're old, they say to Samuel. And they say, your sons have not followed in your way, which was true. 
which that's a sermon in and of itself, and I'll give you the picture. Remember who Samuel learned under. It was Eli, the priest, the high priest. Eli's sons were Hophni and Phinehas, and they were wicked to the core. Okay, And God destroyed them and Eli's family because of it. Now here's Samuel, a very godly man just like Eli was, and here's his sons who don't follow in his way. Now, why do we keep seeing this pattern? I mean, it keeps continuing on in Israel's history. After the king, I mean, after the, uh, the king was set up, who was the greatest king of Israel? David. We know about Solomon, but what about Absalom, his son, who tried to overthrow the kingdom and kill his own father? All right, so there's this pattern of having godly fathers but wicked sons. And I think the picture that God was trying to give to them is back in the law in Deuteronomy, when Israel is referred to by God, he calls them his son. He said, I will be your father. You are my son, my firstborn son to Israel. And so the picture that these leaders of Israel keep showing as their children are wicked is that God, the father, was a godly and holy person and yet his children could not live in his ways and they continued to reject his truth. So I won't preach on that today, okay? But the point is, the people of Israel, even the elders of Israel, had rejected God as their king. They did not want God to rule over them. In fact, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17 real quickly, I want to show you something which is very interesting. If you go to Deuteronomy 17, verse 14, this is what God tells Israel way back before they go into the promised land. He says, when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me like as all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him a king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set over thee, shalt set thou king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. So when Israel was receiving the law, before they went into the, the the promised land, God said, you're going to get to a point where you come into the land, you're going to get settled, you're going to start to prosper, you're going to get complacent, and you're going to get tired of my rule, and you're going to ask for a human king to be put over you. It's in Deuteronomy. God prophesied it. Now, God wasn't saying in Deuteronomy, it's okay, you can do this. What He was saying is, I already know that no matter how much I bless you and how much I give you and how righteously I rule over you, you're going to reject me as king and want a human in my place. And here's the fulfillment of that in 1 Samuel chapter 8. So the people had rejected God and God knew it was going to happen. And so he prepared way back in Deuteronomy for this occurrence. He says, once that they were established in the land, they would ask for a king. And so God prescribes what Israel should do in their rejection of him. Now, the only reason that they would ask for a king here is because they had a history of rejecting God as their king. Go back all the way to the beginning when he brought Israel out of Egypt. I mean, they were barely a few days into the wilderness and they started complaining they got to the Red Sea, and they started complaining, you, you brought us out here, Moses, to be killed. They saw God destroy the armies of Egypt and deliver them miraculously through the Red Sea on dry land. And yet they still couldn't follow him. When they got to Mount Sinai, 
And Moses went up on the mount to get the law of God, and God had provided for them and gave them a place that was secure while he was getting the law. They were there for over a year, and God protected them and fed them and took care of them the whole time. And yet when Moses came down from getting the Ten Commandments, what did he find? They had set up another God in the calf, the golden calf. Even when you go forward into history, a few weeks ago we, we celebrated Easter. The week before that was Palm Sunday. Israel, the men of Israel, lauded Christ as their king, but they wanted an earthly king. Here was the person they were looking for. Even though they recognized Him as the Messiah, the promised Messiah of God, they didn't want the spiritual Messiah that would save them from their sins. They wanted a physical king who would conquer Rome and set them free on the earth. So the history of Israel is basically nothing more than a series of events that shows Israel rejecting God's rule in their lives over and over and over and over again, no matter what He did for them. They didn't want to live under God's rule anymore. So they wanted to choose their own ruler and have their own way of life. It's because they had rejected God as their king. Now many Christians want to choose to have a king other than God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it tells us the kinds of things that we choose to have as our kings. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Sometimes, and some people choose pleasure and amusement, that becomes the king that rules their lives. That becomes what they live for and what they obey. I have to fulfill my pleasure. Some people pursue money and material things as their God and as their king. That's what will fulfill their lives and that's what will make them happy. Some people want status and social standing. And so, it's more important to them how they appear and how they're accepted by the society around them than how they appear and how they're accepted by God. And so they let these other things become the rulers of their life in place of God. And I'm not talking about just unsaved people. These are Christians that do this. Their lives are a pattern of rejecting God because they want something else to rule over them. They find happiness in something else. And basically the attitude is this. I'm tired of doing it God's way. Just like the Israelites. I'm tired of living God's way. Why do I have to be in this, in their minds, this box that God has created for me and I can't be free and really enjoy life? Now, 1 John also tells us that if we love God, His commandments are not grievous to us. So if we have that attitude that we just can't stand the restrictions and the box that God puts us in as a Christian, there's a problem there. I'm not going to say these people aren't saved, but they surely don't exhibit the fruit of salvation. But basically, people, and and us too, times in our lives, we get tired of doing things God's way. Let me give you three possible reasons why that is. Number one is because we're not getting all the physical blessings that we expect from God as a Christian. We think, well, you know, I'm a child of God. I'm saved. I should be blessed. God should be pouring down the money and the fame and the, and the, the prosperity And all of the rest of it, I should have great friends, I should have a great place to live and a good car that never breaks down. You know, that's what the child of the king deserves, right? And yet the Christian life isn't like that at all. In fact, Christ tells us the Christian life is a struggle. It's going to be hard. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to go hungry. We're going to go thirsty. 
We're going to endure famines. We're going to endure beatings. We're going to be hated by the world. And we look at God and we say, God is my king. I'm tired of living in the poor house. I don't understand what the problem is. I need all the physical stuff to show me that you really care about me. That's one reason why we choose another king, because we don't get everything that we think we should get from God. Another reason we might choose another king is because sometimes it's very hard to be the only one following God in a, in a sinless, sinful society. And even when there's so-called Christians around you that are following the world and prospering in the world, and you're struggling because you're trying to obey the Lord, the temptation is there to say, God, I'm tired of your rule. I need something different than this because it's just not working. That's where Israel was. They didn't get the blessings they thought they wanted. They didn't, they didn't want to be the only nation that didn't have a human king. They didn't want to be standing alone. The third reason is the Christian life is not an easy road. There are many who put their hand to the plow and turn back, Christ said. And living the Christian life is hard. Look at Paul. I mean, I use Paul as the, the prime example of this. Paul literally gave up everything to become a missionary of God and, present, and bring the gospel to the world. And he was persecuted and beaten and put in jail, eventually killed. And we don't want a hard life. And so we say, God, your rule isn't enough for me. I need something else. We want the life of our own choosing rather than the life that God has chosen for us. See, God defined the life of Israel in the Old Testament law. If you read through the law, I've been, I've been reading through again um, Exodus through Deuteronomy, and it's amazing how precise God got in his instructions to Israel. You know, and you start reading in Deuteronomy and he starts right away with the sacrifice and you're going to take this sacrifice, you're going to take this lamb, you're going to cut it up this way, you're going to burn it, you're going to take the fat off, you're going to remove the head, you're going to do all these things and it has to be done exactly that way. And it's like, wow, it's just a sacrifice. You know, from our perspective, throw it on the altar, kill it and, and burn the thing. But that's not how God defines things. God says, you're going to listen to me down to the last detail. But we don't want God's life the way he's defined it for us. We want a life that we define. And as Christians, I call it Christianity on my own terms. Yes, I want God, but I want to define what my life is going to look like. Yes, God, I want you to be there to provide for me, to save me from hell. I want everything that you offer, but I don't want to live the way you want me to live. And so it's choosing the benefits without the responsibility. That's what Israel wanted. Yeah, they wanted God. It's not like they said, God, go away. They wanted God. They wanted to be God's people, but they wanted a king. They didn't want the life that God offered. They wanted the blessings, but they wanted to choose their own life. And as Christians, we do that too. God calls us to be holy because he wants us to be the picture of a holy God in a sinful world. And to be holy, we have to give up our own lives and live the life that God chooses for us. We have to live the way God prescribes the Christian life to be. And the Bible says, Philippians 4.13, we quote this for everything else, we should quote it here because this is where it applies. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And if we get the attitude, well, the Christian life is too restrictive, it's too hard, there's too many rules, there's... first of all, we've missed the point. 
We live because we love God. And if we love God, then we're going to want to do what he tells us to do. But there are Christians who choose something other than God to be their king because they've rejected God's authority in their lives, just like Israel did. The Bible says those who are not with him or for him are what? Against him. So if you don't want the life God has for you, but you want him as a savior, it doesn't work. You can't have it both ways. You either take God and his command in your life, or you reject God like Israel did. When we choose something other than God to be our king, it's because we have rejected God's authority in our lives. We would rather do that which is right in our own eyes than serve under a true king. So the reason that Israel wanted a king and the reason Christians choose another king in their lives is because they reject God's authority outright. Now let me give you the motivation why this happens. If you, when you continue to read, basically Israel says in, in verse 19, it says, Nay, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. Here's the motivation behind rejecting God as king. It's because... They wanted to be like the world. They wanted to be like everybody else. See, another king, having a human king, or something on this earth that we can see as our king, is the world's way. The world doesn't live under God's rule. You look at all the other nations, and right now what they faced were mostly Canaanites, the Philistines, the Amalekites, you know, all of those people that we learn about in the Old Testament in Israel's history. Those were the people they saw around them. All of those nations had kings. And here they are without a king, and they're saying, we want to be just like them. We want to be like the rest of the world. Now, the world lives under the rule of their own preference. Go back to Judges real quickly. I'm going to give you a, a real short history lesson in Bible here. Some of you may already know this. Judges is right before Ruth. Last chapter of Judges, chapter 21, the last verse... This shows something about Israel before you even get to 1 Samuel. In verse 25 in Judges 21, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now what does that statement say? Not only did they not have a physical king, but they had already rejected God as their king. And it showed because they wanted to live, and they lived like the rest of the world. What was, if, if you could go through Israel's history and say, okay, here's the one biggest downfall that Israel had over and over and over. This, this was their Achilles heel, their besetting sin. Basically, it comes down to idolatry. Okay? Over and over, as they mingled with the other nations, as they married other nations, as they came in contact with these heathen nations, they would start to adopt their gods. And over and over, I mean, even from the very beginning, like we talked about, from Egypt, the first opportunity they have, and what do they do? They build a golden calf, which was a god of Egypt. Okay, and they said, this is our god. But all through their history, they have this problem of adopting this idolatrous worship. So it just shows their rejection of God through this idea. So the world chooses their own king. They, they live under the rules of their own preference. And the world had chosen, the, the nations of the world at this 
point, had chosen their gods. They had idols to their gods. They had temples set up to their gods. They worshipped their gods, and it were these things that corrupted Israel over and over. But it says in Judges that there was no earthly king in Israel, but it also implies that there, in their hearts was no heavenly king either. And because there was no heavenly king in their lives, they did whatever they wanted to do. That's how they lived. And so all through their history, they had established a pattern of rejecting God. Because they wanted to be like the world. Now, there are many professing Christians who want God and want the world too. Yeah, we want to be God's people, but I want all of that. I want all the fun. I want all of the stuff. I want all the money. I want all the fame. I want all the acceptance of the world. I want to enjoy the world. I want to live like that. Why do I have to be different? Go to 2 Corinthians for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's instructing the church at Corinth. It's a message to all believers. But he says in verse 14 in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. See, God makes it very clear. If you want to be my people, you have to be separate from the world. You cannot have the world and have God too. It doesn't work. Because the world rejects God as king. The world doesn't want the authority of God in their lives. So we can't have what the world has to offer. We can't be like the world and have God. And God says, okay, you can't be unequally yoked. Now people use this to refer to marriage, to business associations, to other things. Let, Let me just say this, because in verse uh, 15, I'm, I'm sorry, 14, it says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? See, we can't have fellowship with the world. That fellowship is a word that means close contact, it means close relationships. Now, I'm not saying we can't have friends that are unsaved, okay? But what I am saying is God is saying, you can't have a real, true friendship that is based in fellowship with somebody who is part of the world. It can't happen. Your values are different. Your your foundation is different. Your course of life is different. Your authority is different. You're on totally different paths. And so God says, come out from among them and be separate. Now this is a huge issue in the church today, is, is what is biblical separation? Well, people don't want to talk about separation anymore because, oh, that implies I'm better than you. No, it's not. We have to understand, it's only because of God's grace that we are what we are. It's only because of God's grace that we can live to become what God wants us to be. But God says, you can't embrace the world and still be what I want you to be. It's impossible. Ephesians chapter 4. We studied through Ephesians last year. All year. 
but it was good. I, I, I learned a lot. I hope you did too. But when we, went, when we got to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. See, Paul's right away. He's saying, okay, as believers, remember he's talking about the church of God, people who have been called out, who have been sanctified in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And he says, all right, now, don't walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind, thinking you can do whatever you want to do in your life. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feeling had given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have, have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then he goes on to list specific things that we are to put off. He starts with lying. But the idea here is this, and it's taught all throughout the Bible. It started with the picture God wanted Israel to be, in that if we are God's people, we have to be separate and different from the world. You cannot embrace the world and have everything they have and desire everything they desire and still be God's person. It can't happen. The problem is, these kind of people only want the salvation from hell that God offers, but they don't want the life that God has for them under His authority. They want a savior, they want a physical provider, they want a protector, but they don't want a king. And basically, it comes down to God is a genie in a bottle. Yes, I'm saved. He's my life insurance policy from hell, and everything I want on this earth, He's going to give to me. And as we've already seen, when that doesn't happen, what happens? Well, all right, I still want to go to heaven, but I want to live this life the way I want it. And so we choose another God. In Romans 10, verse 9, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. It doesn't say just Jesus Christ. It says the Lord Jesus. And shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Here's the issue. And Christ taught this. You cannot have Christ as your Savior without him being your Lord. Now, I know there's a big debate and a big issue over what's called lordship salvation. Okay? But here's the issue. Salvation comes down to submitting ourselves to the truth of God that I am worthless. And it's only through the grace of God and the blood of Christ and His sacrifice on my behalf that I can enjoy the blessings of God, not just in heaven, but on this earth, through the Holy Spirit. In order to have that, I have to give up my life. And Christ says that. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. In other words, you can't say you're a Christian and continually disobey God as a pattern of your life because you want what you want and then claim that you're going to go to heaven. God says, no, it's not going to happen. This is the words of Jesus. If you think you're a Christian and you don't obey me as a pattern of your life, you're wrong. See, it's not enough just to call Christ Lord. We have to live as if He is Lord. As if He is our King. 
And if he's our king, then we will obey him. That's just the way it works. And so if we don't obey God as our Lord, we don't get to claim him as our Savior. And that's the Bible. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, interesting, James was written to a church, the Christians, and he says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Not just, you know, I'm not going to get the blessings of God if I don't obey him. James says it very clearly. If you're not friends with God to the point where he's your king and you're going to obey him, you have become the enemy of God. And that's exactly what Christ said. If you're not for me, you are against me. See, salvation is not about adding God to your life. It's about giving up your life to live the life that God wants us to live. It's to get the life that God has for us, but you can't have it as long as we're still holding on to what we want. And so Christ taught, and and all through the New Testament, all through the Bible, the lesson is there. You can't have God and the world too. It can't happen. That's what Israel wanted. That's what many Christians want. I want the world. I want to be like the world. I want everything that world has to offer, but I want God. And God says, no, you have to make a choice. Joshua challenged Israel in this. And he said, "Choose you if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your fathers served in the region beyond the river or on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua sacrificed a lot. But Joshua got the blessing. Remember, Joshua was one of the two spies out of 12 who came and said, yes, the land is flowing with milk and honey. Yes, there are giants, but God is going to give them into our hand. And the other 10 basically said, no, we can't do it. Now they're too big for us. I don't want to fight. Joshua stood alone with Caleb. And in fact, the majority of the Israelites, the nation of Israel at that time, rejected God and said, no, God can't do this. Uh, We can't get it. Oh, you know, oh, we're going to sit here and complain because God put us in a position where we don't enjoy. Oh, we want to go back to Egypt and have the fruits and the melons and all the stuff that we had there. They forgot that they were in slavery in Egypt. And it's the same for a Christian. If we look at the life God has planned for us and say, no, this is too hard, God. No, I'm not getting all the blessings I want, God. No, I don't have anything that I really desire, God. I don't want this life. I want to go back to the world. And we forget that we were slaves to sin when we lived in the world. And that's exactly what Paul taught us in Ephesians. Why do we desire and keep looking back there when that was the slavery? And now we've been freed and we have all the blessings of Christ ahead of us. But God says you either have to choose to follow God or you're going to choose to follow the world. You can't have both. The motivation is because they wanted to be just like the world. That's the motivation of many Christians, why they reject God's authority in their lives. And here's the consequence. In 1 Samuel 8, verse 10, I'm going to give you, uh, God tells Samuel, he says, okay, you know what? We're going to give give them what they want. He tells Samuel, hearken unto them. I know you're upset. I know this is, Not the best thing for them, but we're going to give them. God says, I'm going to give them what they want. But I want you to do this, Samuel. I want you to go and protest vehemently. I want you to tell them, this is not the right choice. Here's what you're going to get if God allows you to have a king. 
And when we read, I want you to just quickly go to verse 11. He said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself. Look at verse 12. He will appoint them captains over thousands. Verse 13, he will take your daughters. Verse 14, he will take your fields. Verse 15, he will take the tenth of your seed. Verse 16, he will take your men servants and your maidservants. 17, he will take the tenth of your sheep. And you shall cry out in that day because of your king which you have chosen you. See, when we choose a godly king, the consequence is that king will only take from us. And you think about the kings that people put over them. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. My pleasure and satisfaction. Money, wealth, fame, prosperity. That's what I want to rule over me. And God says, if you choose a king other than God, that king will take from you. You will not gain anything. See, sin is a cruel tyrant. It always takes from us. It's interesting, as Samuel explained this to them, this king is going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to drain your resources, he's going to take it for himself, he's going to take it for his own purposes and his own devices. And look at verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, but we will have a king over us. They didn't care. They didn't listen to the advice. Samuel was trying to tell him, and God was trying to tell him, if you want an earthly king, an earthly king will only take from you. You're never going to get ahead. You're never going to get benefits. You're never gain from choosing something as a king other than God. What's interesting is this new king not only would take from them, but if you look at verse 20, he says that we may also be like the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Okay, Here's their expectation for their earthly king, that he will judge them. Now, what do they mean by judge them? It means who would hear their causes and complaints and administer judgment to them according to what they wanted. Right? Look at all the other kings. They let people live the way they wanted, in a sense. At least that's what the Israelites thought. And so they thought, well, with an earthly king, then all of these restrictions that God has put in our lives won't be so harsh. Maybe an earthly king will let us have some leeway here. Maybe an earthly king will go out and fight our battles for us. He'll defeat our enemies. And then we don't have to have any persecution. I mean, God, yes, He's fought and won some battles with us, but we had to do the work and God helped us win. But we're still fighting these people. Maybe if we had an earthly king, He would go out and destroy them so we wouldn't have to fight anymore. So here's their expectations. This is the king they wanted. And look at the king they got. Saul. Tall. Says he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was good looking, smart guy. He started out well. But here's this king who they wanted to go out and fight their battles. And when David went to the battle to the armies of Israel to take food to his brothers, who was the king that was hiding in his tent while the armies of the Philistines stood across the valley and mocked and made fun of the Israelites? And they would not go out and fight because he was afraid. That was their great king who was going to lead them into battle and fight their enemies. 
See, a worldly king will always fail your expectations. It did for Israel. Now, David was a good king, but even David had some failings. He did fight against and, and defeat many of their enemies, and they enjoyed much prosperity as David was their king. But what if you were Uriah? David took his wife. David took his life. He fulfilled exactly what Samuel had warned the people about. See, having another king will only cause loss. Because sin always takes from us. It never gives. We should learn this. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. What does it say? The wages or the payment for sin is what? Death. You don't get something good out of doing something wrong. You don't get benefits out of picking another king other than God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 is the principle. What you sow, you will reap. If you reject God's authority, how can you expect to reap God's blessing? And it goes on in verse 8, it says, if we sow into corruption, we will reap corruption and death. And so when we choose an earthly king, whether it be someone or something other than God, we're choosing loss, not gain. And that's the big lie of Satan, that if we follow the world, if we do the things the world wants, if we go after all the stuff the world has offered, that we actually get something from it. And God says, no, that's not the case. You may get what you want, but in the end, you will lose. It always takes from you. And ultimately, if we devote our lives to the pursuit of the world and an earthly king, we will lose the place in heaven with our heavenly king. I'm not saying we will lose our salvation. What I'm saying is our salvation was never there in the first place because we never submitted to the authority of God. You will never get what you want when something other than God rules your life because another God can never make you happy. David understood this. He wrote in Psalm 16, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. He saw Israel's history. He saw what happened to them. He wrote again in Psalm 32.10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked. See, following another God never brings happiness. It only brings sorrow because they only take from us. So anytime the people of God stray from their God to pursue the gods of the world, they should be terrified of the consequences. We see examples all through Scripture. We see examples all around us. We see Christians who have destroyed their lives because they pursued the world rather than submitting to God. And yet we still have these desires to be like the world. And in trying to gain what we really want, we end up losing what we really need. Matthew 10, verse 39, Christ says, whoever finds his life will lose it. That means if we try to live our life for what we want, we're going to lose it. And then he says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, real life is not in trying to get all we can in life. Real life is found in giving up our life to take the life of God, the life that he wants for us. Proverbs 1 is the beginning of the book on wisdom. And toward the end of the first chapter of Proverbs, Solomon goes into a short discourse it's an admonition, a challenge or a warning, really, to people who don't want God as their authority. 
I'm going to read verses 22 to 33 for you because it summarizes this whole idea. He says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. So God's saying, how long are you going to keep pursuing your own life? If you listen to me, if you obey me, I will give you blessing. I will give you truth. I will give you everything you need for life and godliness. And then he says, because I have called and you refuse to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has regarded. Because you've ignored my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamities comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. You will call upon me, but I will not answer. You will seek me, but you will not find me, because you hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. You would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore you shall eat of the fruit of your own way and have your fill of your own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell securely and will be at ease without dread of disaster. It's right there. The Bible gives us the source of happiness, the, the path of success and blessing and benefit. And it's not by choosing another king. God says, if you choose another king, I'm going to laugh when, you, when you're in calamity and distress. He says, because I gave you the opportunity, there's going to be millions of people in hell who have regret that they didn't go to the God of salvation and rejected his authority of their lives. And at that point, God's going to say, I'm sorry, it's too late. You had your opportunity. Because Satan wants us to believe that sin is blessing. Sin is fun. Sin is beautiful. Sin is great. Sin gets us what we want. And God says, okay, I'll give you what you want and the end of it will be catastrophe. And when you enter into that catastrophe, I'm not going to help you because you rejected me. See, God is a giver. In the Bible, it says God is a great giver. He gives quietness and peace. He gives songs in the night. He gives right to the poor. He gives meat in abundance. He gives strength to his people. He gives power to the faint. He gives understanding to His people. He gives grace to the lowly. He has given us salvation through His Son who gave His life for us. He's given us all that pertain unto life and godliness. And He gives us the desires of our heart when we delight in Him. How much more can you ask for? And yet there's a multitude of Christians that are saying, no God, I don't want that because I don't want your authority. I want to pursue the world. I want to be just like them. The real truth is we only get what we really need by having the right king. Because it's only God who can give us what we need. And the sooner we learn that, the sooner we'll learn to be content as Christians in the life that God has called us to. There are many blessings that are hidden from the eyes of Christians because their eyes are on the world rather than on the Father who wants to bless them. With God, we always get what's best. With the world, it always takes. We don't ever gain anything by it. It just takes from us. Joshua 1.8 basically gives us the key to success. Again, Joshua says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, 
talking about God's truth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and do, uh, thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. That means we learn it so we can obey it. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. It's only when we submit to God's truth and God's life for us that we find true happiness and success in our lives. That's when we see the blessings of God. And yet there's too many people who want the world and want God too, and it's never going to happen for them. Now, although the Christian life may be hard to live, and although we may not get everything that we want in this life, the rewards of having God as our king are all worth it. Sometimes we might feel like we're worn out, we're tired of fighting against the evil, standing up for truth, and being the only one standing for what's right, trying to live according to what God's word says. Even as churches and Christians around us depart from God's way and choose their own own way and reinterpret what the Bible says. And we saw some of that even on Thursday night with Ken Ham's presentation, how churches are reinterpreting Scripture so that they can do what they want and accept what they want. And it's in those times when we're under that pressure that we feel like giving up and giving in. And I know David faced those pressures as well. King David. We all do as the people of God. And that's why Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It's not the stuff and the, the... blessings, and all of the good things that we get on this earth that matters. Paul said, all of the acclamation, all the things I've accomplished, I count it as dung. That's how worthless it is. I count it as dung that I might attain the prize that God has for me. Because that's worth everything. And then he says, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Keep trusting God. Keep letting God be your authority. Keep God as your king, and no matter how hard it might seem to you, you will get the blessings that God wants you to have and that he knows you need. And ultimately, we will have the ultimate blessing in heaven with him for eternity. And that's worth a whole lot more than anything we could get on this earth. I'm going to close with this Psalm 16, verses 1 through 11. I want you to listen to what David wrote because he understood this truth about keeping God as his king. He said, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. 
In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Who's your king? Are you going to choose the world and a worldly king and the satanic king of all the stuff that takes from you? Or are you going to choose God as your ultimate authority and receive all the blessings that He has in store for those who love Him? Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether it be the gods of the world or our Father which is in heaven. That's the decision we have to make every day. And that decision will have lasting consequences, not just in this life, but through eternity. Father, we come to you today and we just ask that you would impress upon us the importance and necessity of keeping you as king in our life. Lord, we know if we claim you as king, then we have to obey you. And it's not out of duty that we obey you. It's out of love because you loved us first. Lord, your word tells us that you want what's best for us. You have in store what's immensely better than anything we can see in this earth. And yet so often we reject your authority to to want to be like the world and to chase after things that we think are more important. Lord, I pray that you would help help us to keep you as our king. To love you as the loving, beneficent king that you are. So that we might get the blessings that you want us to have. And Lord, as no matter how hard the fight gets, no matter how hard life gets with our circumstances and the pressures and the persecution, help us to stand firm on your truth, that those who persevere, that those who continue to, to stand firm in your truth will reap the blessings and the benefits that you have in store for them. Lord, we just praise you. We pray that you would challenge us now with this truth that you would help us to meditate on it, to, to ingrain it upon our hearts so that it becomes what motivates us going forward, what keeps us standing when things get tough, knowing that in your strength we can do all things. So we'll praise you for what you're going to do in our lives. And we thank you that we have a greater promise ahead of us in heaven. We ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.